Hey Kyle, Jamie Gope here. I'm sitting on the beach at sunset on the North Shore of Oahu and watching some pretty solid eight foot sets roll through. Kind of pumping, actually. Um, I just, uh, just listened to your podcast with Hugo Talcombe from Surfers Against Sewage and it was super interesting and, and actually really relevant. I'm doing some research focused on wastewater pollution on coral reefs and specifically how cesspools and septic tanks are compromising marine ecosystem health and, and the resiliency of, of reefs here in Hawaii. Uh, your podcasts and the people that are on them are always super fascinating, and I always walk away with some pretty awesome nugget of information. And so I just want to say thanks, man, and uh, keep up the good work. That was a message from one of our listeners. If you want a quick bite of audio played at the beginning of this podcast, you can record it on your phone using the Voice Memos app. Tell me who you are, where you're listening from, something you're working on or excited about these days, and I would love to play it. You can email it to assistant at kyle.surf. So many fucking cool people listen to this podcast, and we have a good little thing going on here. So I want to highlight... More of you. This episode is with Albie Lair. Albie is one of the best big wave surfers in the world. He is one of the most exciting small wave aerialists in the world. He's the first guy to ever land a double alley-oop. If you haven't seen his films, I highly recommend checking them out. His latest one, Nervous Laughter, will blow your mind. And this was one of my favorite podcasts ever. Uh, We flailed into many subjects but one of them was the possibility of the world surf league launching an air tour which is exciting this wasn't the first time that albie and i sat down so after this podcast you can go back to episode number 56 if you aren't bored with us this podcast is advertisement free so I rely on people like you to make donations. You can head over to my website, kyle.surf, to donate. And if you don't have the money to donate, please don't stress. Just keep listening. Enjoy the show. Share it with a friend. Give it a rating on iTunes. Do not worry about it. I hope that you all enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And please welcome to the show, Albie Lair. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Caffeine out of four loco, we'd make it a five loco. <laughs> what? Where you um, you take like two sips and you pour a five hour energy into it. No, it's the most disgusting thing you could possibly ever drink, <laughs> and you'd be wrecked after one. <laughs> I always I question a lot of the decisions I made as a young lad. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's definitely one of them right there. Even beer bongs, like. They were big in high school. Like I would, I remember going to parties, and I'd put a beer bong in my backpack. 
He's like, yeah, I'm cool guy. Hey, you guys want to take a beer bong? <laughs> like, I now, know, it's kinda, I kind of like those. Even They're, still. Yeah. I mean, I, I've probably been a year since I've done one. No, I did one at a party at home this winter, Christmas party. We had yeah. one and everyone was doing it. It's kind of a social thing, I guess. Yeah. It's like, go, go, yeah. go, go. And but, especially if you like have two and people race, mm. that's when it gets funny. Yeah, there was a guy uh, who's a sushi chef back in Santa Cruz, and he runs a spot called I Love Sushi. And he uh, would race people for sake bombs. And if he if you could beat him, you would get your dinner for free. And the man, like... Did anyone ever beat him ever? No, he didn't have a gag reflex. It was oh, one yeah. of those situations where he could just drink it and it would go down. Yeah, no, that, I have a friend like that, where they don't, like, gulp. It just, like, is a steady pour yeah and he does beer bongs like that and it's just like it's kind of astonishing to watch yeah <laughs> yeah i have a porn star friend like that as well <laughs> i would like a porn star friend like that <laughs> yeah yeah speaking of porn you just got back from vegas <laughs> that was a very good transition though. yeah that's why i get paid the big bucks <laughs> um yeah i did i did my first trip ever to vegas and kind of a spur of the moment thing. Um, it was my buddy Chris's birthday, that's why. And I've never been there. And I've been offered, like, everyone's always going for something, and I've always been offered. Sure. And he, like, asked, and I just, like, immediately said no. And I just thought about it. I was like, what's my excuse for not going this time? Like, I should just freaking do this already. <laughs> like, everyone's been. And it was, it, that place is crazy, man. Like, it's insane to me that there is just. An entire city built around partying, like a whole industry, like and like gambling, like oh, it's just crazy. Yeah, and like and I, not like adolescent partying. Like, yeah, we kind of know how to party. We're from Isla Vista. It's like no, we're professional partiers. Yeah, exactly. And we will take all of your money, and you will have a great time, and thank us at the end of it. Yeah, I gambled a little bit. I know. You know what I did? I went and put a hundred dollars on black roulette. And one, and just said, "Nope, done." <laughs> Left up a hundred bucks. How much do you put into? How does roulette work? Roulette's the one with the ball that spins around. Okay. And there's like, so if you put, uh, you can put it on black. There's half black numbers, half red, and then like two green ones. So the probability is still you won't get it. It's forty-eight percent. Okay. That you will get it if you put it on black or red. So and if you get it, you double up. So I put a hundred, got two hundred, quit. <laughs> and that was it That was it for gambling Yeah That shit's fascinating to me It'd be kind of like I If I went again I would not I would want to kind of gamble Like just set aside A certain amount of money And just really like do it and See if I'm any good Or horrible at it Yeah Probably horrible but <laughs> Do you know how to play Hold'em? Are yeah. you good at that? Yeah We just had a po poker night Back home in Maui We do that kind of not as much as we should, but I love playing Hold'em with all it's the, so fun. All the whole gang. Yeah, because even if you lose a hundred bucks, it's a night of such good times. Yeah, and you're just like, well, I mean, if you go out, you're gonna spend a hundred dollars on like five drinks. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and that always happens after the third one. You're like, oh yeah, I got this round, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you wake up and we're like, shit, why did I get that round? I know. My wallet was empty this morning. I was yeah. A little disappointed in myself. Yeah, I, I haven't been to uh, to Vegas, but um, never, never. No, I actually got invited by uh, <laughs> by a couple um, 
actual porn star friends that I have. You um, have actual porn star friends? Uh, I do. Yeah. The, and I'm jealous. They, I have one porn star friend, actually. They are uh, super switched on, like very smart women. Yeah. Uh, their stage names are Sierra Lynch and Alexandra Snow. And they oh. camped with us at Burning Man this year. I did a podcast with them. That's great. And, uh, I'll have to listen to that one. That sounds <laughs> very So you'll get a kick out of this. Um, they specialize in humiliating men. Really? Men who get off on being humiliated. That's so, awesome. So um, there's a whole subculture market on guys who like to um, be dominated financially. So like one of the role plays that they'll do is... Uh, a guy will want to be blackmailed. So he will s- wow. give my friend uh, their credit card info, um, like their a, a photo of them with like a dildo up their ass, and then their wife's email. And they'll... It's <laughs> <laughs> <That is> incredible. <laughs> You're kidding. And they'll want this role play of like, if you don't send me this money... Uh, like and you know and uh, it's this weird. They were telling me like it's this weird gray line because they can't make it be actual blackmail because that would be illegal, but the guys want it to be as real as possible. Yeah. Um, That's... And they're you know and then they do that and it's all uh, they're cam girls so they never meet up with the guys in person. That's not true. One, one does, one doesn't, and they spend um, the rest of the time traveling the world. My, my friend Sierra has been on the road for the last nine months. That was kind of awesome. Yeah. It's crazy. I That was one thing when I got turned on to podcasts in the first place. I started listening to like a lot of sex ones. I listened to the one with um that a- you did with Amy. Amy Baldwin, yeah. Yeah, I started listening to her one too. And it's just like, it's so like, it's pretty incredible how... And another thing, I was reading this book called Everybody Lies, and he had all this data about porn searches and whatnot. And it's just crazy how weird everyone is so it's like not weird it's like so weird how much we suppress like how weird we actually are yeah and the more we suppress it the weirder we are exactly i know and like it's it's pretty i that's i love that about podcasts and stuff like that like that people are i feel like they're getting less and less like um uncomfortable with who they actually are it normalizes it man we have so much shame embedded in our culture I know. And shame is the the real, I think, damaging factor in all this. It's not if, like, look, if you want to get blackmailed, if you want to, um, yeah, like, it's whatever you're into, whatever just be you're into, into it. be into it. And as long as it's consensual and it, yeah, it's exactly. coming from both parties w- with an enthusiastic yes, then who am I to judge? But there's so much judgment in our culture around like, Oh, you're into this shit. You're into that shit. And yeah. a- as a result, it, um, what it does is it creates these weird power dynamics, right? I think that, that, that shame is a great, uh, it's a great way to employ control over other people. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So I got invited to the AVN awards, uh, but I didn't end up going, What's but that? the adult video news awards oh that happens in Vegas. That's amazing. Yeah. But again, like it's <clears throat> both of, of my friends uh, who I told you about are, uh, 
super smart. Like they get it. They understand like, hey, this is an industry. I can make a lot of money at it. Like, oh, yeah, I've, you know, I'm 28 and I bought a you know, a hotel down in Mexico that runs itself now. And that's like my retirement plan. Like they've kind of figured it out. And I asked them on the podcast, I was like, do you think this would be as big if there wasn't so much shame around what you do? Like the, the real, like this, uh, my friend is just like the greatest story. Um, my friend Sierra sold a bag of her own shit for $4,000. Oh my gosh. For four grand? Yeah, and like they did like toenail clippings and all just weird stuff. Oh, you know, they like it exists. That, it does exist. Everything exists. Yeah. Every kinky fetish in the world exists. Yeah. Check <laughs> check her out. Sierra Lynch. <laughs> Let the Google searches fly. Oh well, as soon as you leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, I, I I would like to go to Vegas, but other than that, I think that there's something so wrong about a whole city in the desert. Oh my god, I think it's the weirdest thing ever. You like fly into it, and you're just like, why the, who the, fuck thought to put this here? Who was just like, oh yeah, right there, in the middle of absolutely nothing with no water, no like, I mean, it should be surrounded by solar panels. That would make it a little better. Because there's, there's a surplus of sun, that's for sure. But it's crazy. It's crazy. It's, like, so it's, it's like, what, so bizarre to did, me. Like, describe what it was. That, what did you guys do? So you gambled a little bit? Um, We just went. We showed up at, like, we did 11 a.m. and then had a flight at, like, 8 a.m. <laughs> the flight home this is the funniest part of the whole the whole thing. I'm sure things. everyone out there <laughs> everyone uh, on the way like, yeah, we're stoked. And then on the way back, <laughs> no, we're like still kind of like trudging along, like just barely. And everyone came from different places. <laughs> but um, so we went and we just um, hung out in the room for a bit. Oh no, the first thing they do is they get these huge, stupid, like slushy drinks that are disgusting and full of alcohol. But it's like their tradition, like they did it the first time they went there, the whole group. And so we did that. And like, I literally, like, my memory was fuzzy from that first drink until, like, getting on the plane. <laughs> it's like this, it, they call it like a yard stick or something. It's literally like this big, and it's a slushy. And then they got an extra shot of 151 in the top. Oh, no. And then they, like, race, and you just get brain freezes. I was like, how is this a good tradition? I was like, what? whatever. They've been doing it for like 10 years. I was like, I'll play along. So strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Colorado River, man. It just, that's how they make Vegas happen. They just uh, sl- suck that thing dry. I know. It's so, in- it's so insane. And as a result, uh, just the other year, the Colorado River reached the ocean's uh, like so you think Colorado River is this massive flowing river that starts up in the Rocky Mountains from all the snowpack and it flows down and Vegas takes it and then California takes it it doesn't reach the ocean That's we, we suck it dry and just the other year there was a celebration because <laughs> some of it trickled out just a little dropped into the ocean <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's so heavy. I know I was reading um all, or uh, the, one of the books I'm reading right now, it's called Kiss the Ground. You should read it. It's amazing. But it's all about like um, the way we farm and the agriculture and how 
just were destroying this place so quickly <laughs> and it's pretty depressing but that was the one thing they just i like everyone's kind of started saying it like all those kind of books that like the next war world war will be over water yeah that's too many w's world war world. will be over water <laughs> say that 10 times fast <laughs> but it's so true especially when you see places like even here like southern california it's like they say we're in a drought. It's like, we no, you just built a city in the desert. It's not a drought. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is uh, an, a, a gr- So another issue that we have in California is not even so much that we don't have the water. It's that we misuse it. We've created these cement rivers that wastes all of our water yeah if you look at a natural river it meanders the water absorbs into the ground yeah there are floodplains. um so there are groups that are advocating to crack open the la river and uh use a kind of biomimicry so that it mimics a naturally meandering river yeah that was what that whole book's about too it's like um there's like the large water cycle which like everyone knows about but then there's like small ones that just like if there's no, if you have like plant single crop agriculture, there's nothing to catch all the like condensation in the air yep. and like keep the water cycle going. So then it just becomes drier and drier. Yep. Starts desert desertification. Is that what it's called? De- yeah, desertification. I think so. <laughs> all those words you, you. you read in a book like fifty yeah. times, and you <laughs> yeah, just yeah. make it up in your head. No, it sounds. Yeah, I think that. If we are going to turn this situation around, it's not going to be from people exiting society and just being like, okay, I'm going to live out here in my yurt, fuck society. I saw Into the Wild. I'm going to be just like Christopher, Christopher McCandles. <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be from us observing nature and trying to replicate our systems to match natural systems as much as possible. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's crazy though. I, when I, I'm reading this book and just the last few books I've read are just all about the world and how it works and our impact on it. And I honestly, like I have this weird realization that I genuinely believe that we're just a bad species for the earth like i think like they talk about it it's like we're like a virus we're the only like people that are the only species that just does that just like consumes and multiplies consumes and multiplies and like i don't know and i like genuinely believe that it's like a shitty it's a super shitty thing to like believe and i hope i'm gonna be i hope i'm wrong like i'm not like giving up and stuff but it's like a weird thing to think maybe but look at pigs on hawaii you know, they were they the pigs on Hawaii, right? They multiply. They can breed three times a year, have six to ten babies every breeding cycle. And if it did, w- yeah, but did we bring them to Hawaii? We did bring them to Hawaii. Exactly. Damn it. <laughs> See, it's our fault. Like everything, every problem. Is You've checkmated me, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it sucks. Like, I, I actually believe that. And it's like, <laughs> like I, I want to do everything I can to help. And like, I know there's tons of really good people who do that, but like, as a whole, I think we're just like, I think we're going to ruin this place. We might. <laughs> I think that we are self-centered. I think that we respond to incentives. Yeah, exactly. And depending on our environment, that can determine how we act. 
Um, I was listening to a podcast recently with a guy named Sam Harris, and he was talking about incentives. And he said, think about um, prisons, right? So you could be a good guy. You get sentenced to prison. And if you're white, even if you're not a racist, if you don't join this white supremacy gang— you know, you'll be killed. You'll be yeah. killed by everyone. So the incentive to make bad decisions is so great that even even a great a, person, a great person will succumb to these negative incentives. Like right? We'd probably do it if we're in there. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> I <laughs> I'd, get, I'd get a Nazi tattoo across <laughs> my forehead. Shave my head. I'm in. I swear, I swear. I'm in. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, if, <laughs> like, yeah. but I, I, someone's going to take that quote out of context and then like right. 30 years from now and be running from mayor or something like that. Yeah, he's a Nazi. <laughs> Remember what Kyle said? <laughs> but I think that if we design systems that incentivize the not so insightful, even not so caring person to make good decisions then that is what yeah, shifts exactly. uh, our world dramatically. I think the problem is that like decent people feel bad manipulating the like the whole like middle, you know, because there's like all these people in power and stuff, and like like I just feel like the good people feel bad manipulating the middle, even if it's to do something good. Like they just feel bad about manipulating them, and then the bad people like. People that just are greedy and all they care about is profits, like they just they don't care at all about manipulating people, so they're so much better at it. Yeah. There's We need like a good person who's a dick. Yeah, right. <laughs> like you know who has good goals but is an asshole about it. Yeah. Because I feel like it'd get done faster. I think that people also um that there is something to be said about people who get into these prominent positions of power really enjoying power over others and and there is a reason why you have so many psychopaths at the top of these companies and oh, in yeah. politics I, I, what, what podcast was that was it like a radio lab or something Prob- where they talk about I like don't how know, CEOs are 95% psychopaths oh I've heard about that I it's didn't listen to that fucked one up, but- dude. it's like the scariest thing ever and it's true like yeah. it's just like facts yeah that's um, what I mean <clears throat> bad people are just they are better at manipulating people so they get to the top faster right but if we design systems that make it easy for people to act well i think that radical change happens quickly yeah and one positive is that you don't need even half the population to sign on to something for massive changes to happen you look at the civil rights movement martin luther king at the time of his prominence didn't have half of the population on board but this tipping point occurred rather quickly you can look at um an issue like gay rights today like it shifted in the last five years like pretty quickly very quickly um something we actually saw so so i think that the, the idea that ideas can spread so quickly right now is exciting to me and if we design systems that incentivize people to act well they will you can even take something like a plastic bag tax 
when that gets implemented yeah, in a, I mean, in a city. Yeah, Hawaii, you know, it's gone. And it's like, eight, are gone. exactly, an 85% reduction, you know, in the first couple months, that yeah. kind of thing, because people are like, wait, I don't want to pay another 50 cents for a plastic bag. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, I mean... I know, like, things like, what is another thing? Hydro flask, I think, is just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Because just, I've been trying to, like, be more conscious about single-use plastic, and, like, as soon as you, like, notice it, it's crazy how much of it you use. It's the Matrix. It's, it's You wake it's up to crazy. it. It's crazy. Yeah. And, like, it's, like, it's pretty easy to, like, I don't know, get rid of. And I think people, like, they should do that with everything. Like, you should bring your own plate to, like, a, you know, where they give you paper plates or whatever. Like, stuff like that is just, it's such an easy change, but it just doesn't happen because it's just inconvenient like yeah. just barely inconvenient and we don't do it yeah you need to make it easy for people yeah you, you need to design the systems around it but it, it is easy but like just a barely inconvenient and like no one will do it that's what that's what's crazy to me that's where i have like my negative train of thought where i think we're just actually gonna ruin this place yeah because <laughs> like even i do it i, I try to like right I yeah, no. to it. i fuck up dude, all the time dude i made a documentary about it and i still <laughs> do it <laughs> It's so heavy, and it's just like, oh, my God, like, we're just no, crazy. No, I don't believe in willpower. I believe that when we change our habits, that can make a big difference. Yeah. You know, like, when it becomes easy for us. Like, when, uh, for example, I changed the habit of um, my coffee cup. Like, I bring my coffee cup when I go get coffee now, and it feels weird to me. It feels like I'm forgetting something if I don't bring it with yeah. me. And once that habit shifted, it became easy. That's I just am in the transition. You're on the transition. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> I got a good book for you. There's one called the, it's called The Power of Habit, and it's all about how when <clears throat> you're trying to change a habit, it is much more effective to replace a a bad decision with like let's say you're trying to quit smoking, rather than just saying I'm going to quit smoking. Say okay, I'm going to do the jump rope for 10 minutes right now whenever you get that cue for the reward you you change the reward uh rather than just trying to cut it off cold turkey because willpower doesn't work yeah i i i'm addicted to chewing tobacco which is the grossest thing and it does nothing for me and i'm completely addicted to it and i've tried to quit so many times and it's so freaking hard yeah and it's just like i like like I just It baffles me That I can't do it Alright we're gonna think Alright what's the habit That you need to shift So every time You wanna put in Chewing tobacco Hmm Masturbate <laughs> I was just gonna say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was trying to think Of the porn star's name You told me about Search uh, What's her name Sierra, Sierra Lynch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sierra, you're shaping hearts and minds right now. You're helping Albie become a better person. Perfect. Okay, I'll work on that again when you leave. Yeah. All right, I got a good story for us. <clears throat> Just so that um, people don't drive their cars off a bridge right now. I know, we're so negative right now. Let's talk about something positive. We got this. So I know um, a biologist named Jacob Katz and he works for an organization that is trying to bring salmon back in California because um, we kind of fucked up. You're good. Uh, and we created all these dams that um, make it very difficult for salmon to do their runs. And if salmon weren't such a badass 
creature, they'd be extinct already. They yeah. swim up waterfalls to go spawn and die. They are amazing. And they're delicious. They are delicious. They're my favorite fish. And it's so weird. I feel like bad saying that because I'm from Hawaii and we have so many good fish. <laughs> but they're absolutely my favorite fish. <laughs> so you're going to have to cut that part out, bro. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, one of the issues that we have run up against is the fact that uh, the Delta... Um, where a lot of the salmon spawn has been, as I said, uh, created in this way where it's a straight, deep, fast-flowing river. <clears throat> now, the problem with this is that baby salmon need a meandering river uh, where there are shallow spots and deep spots because the shallow spots have extra nutrients in them, and that's where they fatten up on their great journey out into the sea. So the issue has been that when we drop salmon off, uh, farmed salmon off at the head of these or at the the I don't know the back of these rivers yeah. to make their journey out. They can't get enough nutrients before they reach the sea. And they die on the way. So Jacob and his team found that rice fields surround the delta, and rice fields need to be flooded once a year anyway. So they created these. Um, these diversions and these gates where the baby salmon could swim onto the rice fields, which are shallow water, full of nutrients, and they could fatten up. And the baby salmon grew to be something like four times the size of the other salmon that didn't get on these floodplains. They call them the floodplain fatties. So through this process of mimicking nature, they have been able to not solve the issue with salmon in California, but it's a great step that benefits both yeah. farms and the salmon. Yeah, exactly. That was in, in the book I'm reading about there, his, the kind of essential, they're just getting to like, cause the whole first half of the book is just everything we're doing wrong. And it was getting really depressing. <laughs> kind of like the first half of our interview. <laughs> but then they start like coming up with the solutions, you know? And, um, but one of the things basically like, cause they talk about how North America is just, you know, it's the, best place for farming almost in the whole world yeah our grounds are our topsoil yeah but the whole amazing their whole i like part of the reason that is is because of the buffalo we had yep because there was just ridiculous amounts of buffalo like they said like they talk about how there'd be herds passing over roads for like three days at a time you know and you couldn't cross the road or whatever like when people first started heading west but um so his whole theory is like to use now because we pretty much wiped them out we totally fucked that but um to use because there's so we have so much cattle to use them in a way that mimics their natural migration you know so they like be in a field they eat the grass they fertilize that ground they move and then you use that ground to plant and it's like such a simple concept and be it's just like just like the same thing with the salmon and the rice patties yeah it's called the first bite principle um, and it allows the buffalo to to fertilize and then move on, and they don't overgraze. Yeah, that's exactly. one of the issues that we have right now is that they don't overgraze. Um, and that's one of the arguments for bringing wolves back, because wolves change the migration patterns of a lot of these hooved ungulates. Where'd, where'd it, wolves go? We shot them all. <laughs> really? But they're, but they're coming back. Like, like this, this is actually a... <clears throat> Uh, converse badass animal. They are. They're probably my favorite. Um, but they're coming back, and and simply having a top predator in the game 
uh, changes the migration patterns of all of these animals, um, the, the hooved ungulates like the buffalo, uh, that fertilize the land and yeah. allow for this whole ecosystem to happen. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, because there's just so many, we have too many people on earth is what they're saying. <laughs> so we like, you can't like the, the, the natural things don't happen. There's just, there's cities and all the shit in the way. So you have to like mimic it in mm-hmm. farming. What's it called? You said it earlier. Biomimicry. Nice. Biomimicry. I like that word. Yeah. And, uh, when you have a top predator that changes the rest of the ecosystem it's called a tropic cascade Ooh, i like that word too <laughs> there's a good uh youtube video called how the wolves changed the river for in yellowstone national park have you ever heard of this uh-uh. it's a really cool story um <clears throat> so wolves were taken out of yellowstone park and uh soil erosion was a big issue because um I believe it was the deer were, uh, did, they didn't have a predator, so they would hang down at the bottom of this watershed, and they were eroding the whole cliffside, and no uh, plants could grow. Um, and it was having a huge impact on the whole river. Yeah, deer multiply really quick when there's nothing around to hunt them. Like- so they reintroduced wolves back in. The wolves ate a few deer, but what they did... Uh, Additionally, is they change the migration patterns because if you're a deer, you don't want to hang out at the bottom of a watershed because that's where you're going to get munched. Yeah. So by them forcing the deer to move quickly from place to place, it allowed the um, plants to the grow plants to grow back. It brought back um, the raptors uh, that were flying overhead that could then plant more seeds. It allowed the beavers to uh, create new styles of dams, and it. Uh, by reintroducing wolves back into Yellowstone, it changed the course of the river. That's so crazy. That's so cool. That is one thing that I really is like my one positive thought when uh, talking about the world and just the state of it and whatnot, like the natural world. And it is that we have the ability to do stuff like that. Like, I'm okay. <laughs> but we have the like ability and technology and just like we're smart enough to do stuff like that. It's just a matter of yeah, I guess incentivizing people to do it. Yeah. We'll get there. Maybe. We'll get there. I don't know. I think it's all going to happen. Or we won't. I mean, the, we'll the whole... Kind we'll of all go out in flames. Either way. Yeah. <laughs> is what it is. I, yeah, I think about this a lot because I'm in the conservation world. And um, for a long time, I really struggled with wondering what my impact was through the videos that I would make and through the talks I would give. And uh, I realized that it doesn't, like, that's actually not healthy to think about. No, not at all. Like, it it just makes, it, it puts the world on your shoulders. And I think I used to put a lot more pressure on myself um, to, like, make my mark and have this legacy. And now, man, like, <clears throat> the reason I do podcasts, the reason I make these movies and like the most honest answer I can give is that I like learning about shit and telling people about it. Yeah. It brings genuine joy to me to to be able to tell you, yeah, to tell you about something cool. Best thing ever. And if that changes a few people's minds to make better decision than decisions, then that's great. But 
beyond that, it's it's not helpful for that to take up mental energy. Yeah, absolutely. I know I've kind of I feel like I'm getting to this place too because I feel like up into the last like year or two of like my whole surfing career, it's the goal has been building to where I am now, kind of like. Oh, you almost like the TV over. <laughs> but like, you know, that was like just like all my focus, you know, was like getting achieving my goals and all this stuff. And then like I'm getting to a place where I'm getting a little older, you know, and it, you naturally your career starts plateauing a bit. <laughs> like, you know, it, you know, for some people it's way at the top, some people it's the middle, whatever. And um now I'm just like, well, like like, what did I really accomplish by getting here? Like, I need to do something, like, good, you know? <laughs> like, all I've done is just consume resources and consume everything just to, like, make myself happy. And I'm just like, fuck, that's kind of fucked up. And I was like, well, like, I have a voice now. Like, there, there's, like, gotta be, and I'm just, I still haven't, I'm not doing it well yet, but that's, like, something I'm paying more attention to. And, like, when I started the, um, me and a couple of friends started a, fr- a fin company, Huckleberry Fin Co. <laughs> Huckleberry Surf Co., but Huckleberry Fin, you get it. <laughs> but, so, um, so you make fins? Yeah. <clears throat> I'll give you a pair before you leave, actually. Sweet. Thank you. Um, but we're we're trying to make eco-friendly fins. That's our whole goal. goal. And um, like we're using shit like um, hemp cloth and eco-resin and like mushroom cores, the mycelium whatever it's like this company in new york but anyway like that's like and it's just like it's made me realize like i don't know it it just riding a surfboard it's so weird because you're like you know in this beautiful natural environment and surfers seem to be really in tune with nature most of the time and like a surfboard is such a toxic freaking thing (laughs) it's so fucked up (laughs) and it's just like like from the styrofoam to the fiberglass and like even the eco resin like it's still like it still needs work. It's so hard to make an eco-friendly surfboard that works. Yeah. Like the whole thing. And it's just it's something we like we don't pay attention to. We're just like, "Oh yeah, like we're in tune with nature, but really we're just riding like a toxic piece of garbage out in the beautiful <laughs> ocean." Well, we also need people who uh, are really good at surfing like yourself to ride boards and show that they work. Yeah, because I want th- th- they started <clears throat> a, a new company like foam that make blanks that are a little better, I guess. Um yeah, yeah, um Marco Foam. That's one. Marco yeah. Foam does recycled foam. Um there are a number that are coming out. I yeah. do think that it is hitting this tipping point where you're starting to see better surfers riding. Yeah, exactly. Um more environmentally friendly boards which yeah is cool. it's yeah but that's like i feel like that transition is so far behind like for us like as surfers we should have been the first people to start making yeah. eco-friendly equipment <laughs> yeah because we're like so submerged submerged in nature you know and it's like uh, it's just like crazy to me like it just dawned on me when i when i started this fin company like how toxic everything we use is on surfboards for the most part and yeah. i'm just like shit man the matrix <laughs> wake up so, to it so bad but yeah i think that I, it's it's it, i think it's moving in the right direction it right is now. it is and people like yourself make it move faster so it's cool that you're talking about this i also think though that beyond the materials economy which is very important for us to focus on um and understand the basic fact that we live in a linear system from extraction to production 
to uh, disposal or to to use to disposal, and we live on a finite planet. Like that equation just doesn't last forever. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. <clears throat> I also though think that by you being you, even though you're not necessarily like Mr. Eco-friendly person, that does make a difference because right now so many people I meet curate their personalities to what they think others will accept. Yeah. And particularly even young people now. Like when we were young, we didn't have social media and we'd go and ah, do crazy shit without any thought of what it looked like or yeah, how it would be other. perceived. Yeah, because you weren't sh- you weren't doing crazy shit for the world. You were doing sh- crazy shit for your friends. You know? Exactly. It's, like, it's such a different it's mindset a different, It's a completely up. different mindset. It's like going on the hike to take the photo to share with all of your friends versus going on the hike. To see it for yourself. Exactly. exactly. And we're all, we all do that now. It's like it's so ingrained. Yeah. In our whole society. It's crazy. I think that it really, um, it damages our ability to be bold and authentic. I yeah. know that that's an, that's an overused word, but, um, I do compliment you on the fact that you genuinely don't give a fuck and you say unpopular things <laughs> even it, because you like you I, I can tell it's it matters more to you to be true to yourself than to appease some audience and I do think that that is important in this world to have people like you who who are uh, contentious figures in a way thank you you know how uncomfortable com- compliments make me right yeah I'm showering now <laughs> no it's, it's it's i don't know I'm, i i don't mean to make you the center of this but it really has been annoying me recently to see how many people will make life decisions based, based on what everyone else wants and yeah and they how want. they think this decision will fit into their story yeah yeah i mean yeah it's something we all do a little bit but like we're all guilty of it yeah exactly but i think it's important to notice it yeah no, I know. I just, yeah, it's, it's a, like people suppress too much of what they really feel. It's so like it's, it comes back to what we we're talking about with the whole weird sex thing, <laughs> all the weird sexual podcasts. Like people do that on, on all levels of their personality, and it's just like at some like at some point you just gotta ask why. Like why are you doing that? Like w- why would you suppress who you are? Like, I don't know, like, if you have bad habits, like, work on them to fix them, but, like, accept that they're there. Right. You know? Like, don't pretend they never existed and just keep them. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know? then you'll never fix them. Yeah. If you don't not acknowledge that they're there. Was there ever a person that you, I don't know, like, looked up to or represented that to you? Um... Or any, like, motiv- motivator? Do you think that it all just kind of came naturally? I don't know. It doesn't come straight to mind right away. I, th- I mean, I think it's weird at this age I've started to notice how much everyone is a product of their parents and their upbringing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it's just started happening recently where I was just like, oh, my God. Like, he, like each of my friends have these 
tendencies and I'm just like and then I like I figured you figure out where they come from when you hang out with their parents so I think a lot of it if you look at my personality it's I'm half my mom and half my dad like it's completely like my mom is like really high energy and like really bold and like outspoken and stuff and but my dad is like the same way but he's not outspoken at all like he's just he doesn't he's like a zen master you know like where he like he he's it's like he's focused on himself but like not in a selfish way it's so trippy to me like i don't know he doesn't let things bother him and like what other people say and what other people do and like and then my mom's like really bold. They're just totally opposite. And I totally like. You see yourself in both of yeah, them. Yeah, I totally do. And it's just like, it's the older I get, the more I notice it. Like, oh, like I am that way because of them. And yeah. Also, going back to sex fetishes, <clears throat> my friend Amy Baldwin, who I've had on the podcast a number of times now. Yeah, she's so rad. She's the best. Uh, says that a massive amount of our sex fantasies and fetishes go back to childhood i know yeah i i listened to one where she talked about that recently yep. and it's so what was the i heard a quote recently where it's like it's talking about love is like a paradox how it's like because you try to find someone who mimics the love you got from like your parents kind of but at the same time do you want the person to fix all the problems caused by your parents? So it's like a paradox that like doesn't work like a little bit, you know? Yeah. It was like, it was the craziest quote. And I like thought about it. And I was like, well, that makes so much sense. Yeah. And to be able to think back and notice that a few events early on in childhood really shaped oh, our yeah. personality. Oh yeah. On the podcast that I was doing with Amy, she was like, so Kyle, like what? So she, she brings it back to, that most fantasies we have are around either being uh, feeling special, feeling desired, feeling like we're the best. You know, so this could materialize in fantasy for group sex or fantasy to be worshipped. And a lot of this comes back from our desire to feel that from our parents. Yeah. You know? Makes- and it, and it plays out in all these different ways. It, it, yeah, it's just like it's something you don't really want to talk about because it's like weird to, you know, go from your parents to sex. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it's so fucked how related yeah. they are. Yeah, you I know? never thought I would use my mom in the same sentence <laughs> as threesomes. <laughs> as group sex. <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Nazi tattoos on the forehead. Oh, Moms and threesomes. <laughs> I'm throwing this one away. Who deleted this? But it's yeah, it's imp- it's important to um Yeah, just like to look back that. and and name it so that we can move through it and we're not in a constant state of reactivity. Yeah. Absolutely. Another glass of wine. Yes. Uh, cheers again. Cheers the microphone. <laughs> cheers the microphone. <laughs> mm. um, so moms and threesomes. Ma- <laughs> <laughs> That's what the title of this episode will be. Yes. Yeah. I'll get a lot of views. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With Albie Lair. <laughs> Your name will will be in the same one. My mom will lose it. She's like, wait, wait what? what? No. <laughs> it's not okay. Mm. 
Yeah. So, uh, the air tour. Oh, yeah. The air tour. I totally forgot we were supposed to talk about that. No, we weren't supposed to talk about anything, but I do yeah. want to hear about it because I don't know much about it. Um, no, so I, yeah. That's, I, it's, it's trippy too. I, like, I, there's this rumor that a WSL air show world tour is going to happen with a world champ and everything and hopefully good money. <laughs> um, which, and it's, it's so, I'm so hoping it happens. Like it, it's so perfect for where surfing is right now, I think. And it, right now it's all rumors and no one knows exactly what's going to happen. They're supposedly having the first event in France. And it's like, uh, I just, I'm a little scared that I'm a little older than I wanted to be when it started <laughs> happening, you know, cause I just, I'm starting to take care of better care of my body. And that's why I can't freaking walk today. Cause I was <laughs> actually worked out my legs, <laughs> knees and ankles and hips beach yeah. workout. That's, that's all that's all about when you get a little bit older. Yeah. Remember that kids Those will take you out. <laughs> but, um, so it's, it's something they're talking about now and it's just, it would be so, I think it'd be the best thing for surfing ever right now because i've always made the comparison to i just i i i love action sports like i'm just a huge fan of action sports and like i've always been but like now i start just like what we were talking about like in this age i started thinking of why i am the way i am with everything like why do i like that and it's like i just think it's so it's just amazing to just it's so inspiring to see someone push themselves just so far and like just for nothing but the like joy i don't know it's 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 so amazing in every sport like like watching the olympics this year like i watched sean white's run and i fucking cried like, yeah harder than i've cried in a long time and i've like never even liked sean white like me neither yeah. but after that last run i'm like <laughs> i was just like that golf like, clap sir dude. you pulled it off on the yeah. final run and this is going to be the final olympics that you competed it's just beautiful it was just a poetic moment and those are the that's why i love action sports is those poetic moments and it's it's trippy for me because i've i've come from a free surfing background and that's that's been my goal my whole life you know to be a free surfer and, like, I guess our moments are when you make a movie and you premiere it and everyone cheers at something. Like, that's the only time. Because it's, it's, it's really trippy when, like, you know, like, when one of us, like, in my group, you know, like, Matt or me or Kai or whoever, like, when we land a new trick, there's usually, like, three people around, you know? Like, did you get it? <laughs> there's, like, a filmer and, like, two of your friends. And, like, it's – but, like, those are some of the best moments of my whole life. And it's just – like I just that's why I love action sports is those moments and that's uh, I think I mean in all sports but especially action sports because it's like you you risk so much to accomplish those goals and as far as this air tour thing goes like I if you look at most all action sports they almost all started as races like mountain biking even snowboarding skiing all these things um motorcycles like motorbiking dirt biking they all started as races and then freestyling became just like was just a sideshow and um freestyle was a sideshow and then eventually like enough people were doing it and pushing each other just for fun making video parts and then people were like oh like how do we make this into a competition and then that happened 
And then the freestyle competitions became what the sports were known for. Right. And I think that surfing is in that position right now. We're like, the current WSL tour is amazing. Like, and racing is still huge in all those sports. Like, Supercross FMX is like amazing. It's so sick to watch. And but there's just there's more to the sports than just that. Like, racing is one part of a huge sport. And that's what I think is basically like that's how I look at the current WSL competition. Is it's like our racing because it's not. It's. Like, there's crazy moments in it, for sure, and there's, like, some waves that are gnarly and stuff, but it's not it's not centered around those moments, you know, where it's like, all right, like, like the Sean White moment, where it's his last run, and he needs this, like, to do his best run to win, you know, gold, or... And he needs to put it all on the line. And, and he's risking his entire... Like, he could die doing what he's doing. Did you see the oh, the Japanese kid who slammed a few runs before him? Yeah. The kid who cased it? Oh, gosh. Oh, God. Dude, in the X Games, one kid fell. I, I still, like, I haven't... I looked up I looked up his name, like, for, like, the week after just to see if there's any updates, and I couldn't get any. <laughs> no. It was you so know it's bad, bad when bad. Google can't find yeah, it. Yeah, bad. And he, had, he got a bad head injury. But, like... And it's... I, I think it's important that it's dangerous. That's why people watch it, to see someone push themselves past where, you know, most people should. And that's, I think... That's the reason why people like watching big wave surfing. Exactly. And it's 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 something like... I feel like as if you make a living doing a sport like this, you almost have a responsibility to push yourself to that point because... Because without fans, our sports don't exist. And, like, and people, like, you know, they say, like, oh, that's not safe, that's not safe. But, like, it, it's, I don't know. There's, like, a weird line of, like, safety and... And pushing it. Yeah. And I think that by by you uh, trying to do a double alley-oop, that's pushing it, but that's not being irresponsible no, about it. you can fall a hundred times and be okay. I think that there are sports where you get a lot of young guys who ruin themselves for their entire lives and there should be a conversation around safety yeah. in some of those sports but surfing is inherently more safe because you are falling in water and i think that you deserve to get that immediate feedback loop from an audience for landing a double alley-oop in the same way that Mick Fanning gets that immediate feedback loop from an audience of people who fucking jump on their feet when he gets a 95 yeah. at snapper on a buzzer beater yeah and it's just like i there's so much potential for it and it's just you want to you want to see people push themselves just and it doesn't like they they really push themselves on tour like i'm not saying they don't but it's a different kind of way like turns are amazing and they're they're beautiful and they're freaking hard to do i'm the first person to admit <laughs> i'm not very good at them <laughs> and but you know, you never watch someone do a turn and go, oh, my God, he could die on that turn. And but like you can watch like if where air surfing is right now, you know, people aren't going to die air surfing. But like I want to see it get to the where snowboarding is where people are riding big waves and doing airs on them. All right. So where's the tour? Where's the where's the fantasy air tour going to happen? All, I don't know. I guess. The rumor I heard is that the first year is going to be surround, like based around cities just because that's the only way they can get money for it. Okay, but let's think of the best air waves. Um, 
There's a couple in Maui that are pretty good, but there's it's. What it's, about North Point? Yeah, that's one of the best. That's a perfect example because that that wave gets big and you can go big. Because I want that's what I want to see. Like, and it's I just um I did a conversation with um Stab, one of the guys Morgan at Stab this morning, and he was saying that a lot of the guys because they propose like and they're doing all these art it's all speculation right now no one knows exactly what's happening with this tour and they're like oh felipe gabriel john john dane noah dean craig anderson chippa wilson like all these guys want to do it and then they started reaching out and i guess a lot of them don't want to do it and that just bummed me out so much and i was just like i feel like as I don't know uh, what 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 do you even call us anymore? Because I want to do contests, so we're not. I want. I guess I won't be a free surfer, but as just like alternative surfers, yeah, air to, specialists. Yeah, whatever. Just yeah, but any it, not just airs, but just like I feel like we those guys should feel a responsibility to get this air tour up and running. Like just even if they don't want to do it, which I totally understand. Like hanging out home and like. You know, some of them got families and stuff, which totally understand. Like, they don't want to go on tour, but, like, they should feel a responsibility to get this thing up and going and then leave it. Like, then they can leave it. Yeah. Just do two years and just, because it's just, like, the potential of the concept is so good. And if, like, the best guys dedicate their time to it and just prove it's amazing, then we'll create another part of surfing where you can make a living and for the next generation like i want to be 40 50 you know watching a kid like doing a double cork surfing like the last heat of the year last minute to like win the world title yeah and it's not a zero-sum game it's not like we say oh what's better the world surf league or the big wave tour it's just it's an addition no it's it's just a- two different things it's a sub genre like it's there's more it's just because right now in surfing, I feel like every money, all the money, all the focus, all the best guys are doing one thing. And it's just like, even those guys, like, some of them could be better off doing something else. But it's like, there's so much focus on that one thing that no one, we're depriving ourselves of some of the best air surfers because they're they're focused on doing turns because, on tour. Because they're not incentivized. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Full circle right there. You know John John would be going a lot higher if he was incentivized. Yeah. That, like, John John's a perfect example. I mean, I, I think he's the best surfer in the world. He's one of my best friends. I mean, best friends. Best, best, friend. best friend is a weird word. <laughs> all the like, friends. No, <laughs> but be, well, let's just deconstruct best friend there for a second. People always ask me, like, oh, who's your best friend? It's like, I what does that even one. mean? That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Can we let that go with the 90s? Yes, please. And Limp Biscuit. <laughs> yeah. Was he in the 90s? I think we let, we're going to let him go along with best friend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I but, still listen to Limp Biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of weird shit I'm into. <laughs> oh man! Break stuff, dude. That song gets me pumped. <laughs> what are we pounding it before each air show? A little, little bit, a little bit of Smash Mouth. <laughs> those are the good old days. Oh god! But no, it's it's true. Like I I see those guys, and I feel like the tour currently. My kind of problem with it is all these individuals go into it, like. I, I really don't want it to happen to Griffin Colapinto because he's like my favorite of the rookie class this year. And like, there's a couple more, and they're just 
they're surfing spontaneous it's crazy it's different and they have like a funny personality and then i feel like everyone goes into that tour different and comes out the same like not not completely but you know like in some way their personality gets suffocated their surfing gets a little suffocated or not like suffocated it's just we're a product of our influences yeah they, they're a product of our surroundings yeah and like i think with this air tour like we're the whole group that they're talking about doing it we're all like pretty good friends and we're all kind of like i don't know like dicks to each other <laughs> you know like honest friends you know and i think it'd be such a cool thing to just like have post heat interviews where like oh like oh you got um matt coming up in the next heat like oh dude i'm gonna smash him like not like yeah but just having fun with it yeah well i think that it, it could um and just fucking with each other just fucking with each other in post heat interviews i think that'd be so funny to watch well that's an inherent part of surf culture that's lost on the world surf League. exactly that's that's how i feel is it's part of our surf culture but for some reason that tour doesn't want that part of the surf culture and it's like which is fine like they can have that and then but there needs to be an alternative to that there's just no alternative right now that's my problem yeah there was the um the air shows that were happening back in the early 2000s which were amazing to watch when rat boy and flea and goose uh, from maui goose yeah he won the biggest prize purse at the time it was like 40 grand for an air show. Yeah, so I remember that. I remember being like 10 years old going to those air shows, getting autographs from those guys. He did a straight air double grab on like a two foot wave, <laughs> 40 grand. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was sick. And it was just like, there's just needs to be more than one way to make a living at surfing. So how would we set it up? Let's, let's dig into the nuts and bolts of, of this. No, and, and let's push reality to the side. Um, the dream. Well, the way I, one thing, my favorite part of the WSL currently, the tour, is their live streaming. They do an amazing job with that. And that's, they have that. And I just think with um, how they propose, like, doing it around big cities and stuff, it's just, like, which is so cool to have a crowd and stuff there. But it's, like, with a live streaming, like, you don't need the crowd because you can't, you know, you can't fit five million people on the beach, yeah. you know? And I'm sure so, we've, we've all been in Hawaii and... The Pipe Masters is happening. We're like, no, I'm just going to watch it from TV today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, but, like, I think there should be... I know they're going to start... The waves they're going to use at the first year, I I just, from talking to the few people I have, I feel like are going to be pretty average for air surfing, and that's going to be a problem. Right. And, but waves I'd like to see are, like... I think they should do the last event in Maui at our, me and Matt's home break. The left? There's lanes and then there's Hokipa. And Hokipa, from when it's, you know, like two to four feet, is pretty good for airs. And then if it gets bigger than four feet, lanes is a much better way for airs. And either way the wind blows, there's left and right. And I was, I was just like, that would be so cool. And I, they should do that. Cause and how do you judge it? That's I've been talking to like everyone I mentioned that to I've been talking about it a bunch and I'm not sure like I I think one thing people kept asking like oh if you do two airs on one wave like what does that mean and I was like I kind of think it should be two separate scores because then like I mean it's cool and I think it should be a higher score or something but like watching someone do like 
four shitty airs on a wave doesn't sound fun. A bunch of bunny hop airs. Yeah, you can do like four two point airs on a wave, and then you get an eight. And Look it's like, like Kyle Tierman out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I was famous for doing chop hops <laughs> like four times a wave. <laughs> I posted a video this year doing four chop hops on a wave, <laughs> and I was just like, it, it's like, it was okay. Whatever. So one air. I think it should be one score score for each air, and. The number one thing I want to see in the criteria is, like, I I don't really want to be there like for it, which, and like I have a couple of my friends that I know who have been you know doing airs their whole life and working on it, and to sit down and be like, all right, a straight air you can't get higher than a six. Doesn't matter if it's fifty feet high. Hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, fifty feet obviously, but you know, it doesn't matter how high it is. Like, a straight air is a six, and that's that's how it should be because. Because no rotations how, are harder? Yeah. Well, different rotations. Like, you shouldn't be able to get a 10. Put the mic a little closer. Sorry. You shouldn't be able to get a 10 unless there shouldn't be a 10. There just shouldn't be a 10. Because you look at Sean White has gotten two 100s in his whole life. And he's been the best at what he does his whole life. So, like, that's how it should be. Is you should do an error that's never been done. That's the only time it should be a 10. And... Like, yeah, I think just making people work really, really hard to get the high scores is what's going to push the sport so much. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. I never th- I, I never considered that they don't give many 10s. Dude, we're the only sport that does that, and that's what suffocates our progression more than anything, I think. Because yeah. why? Riddle me this, Kyle. <laughs> How can the not best surfer in the world do his not best surfing and still get a 10? Because that happens all the time, every year. That does not make sense. Other sports like laugh at us for doing that. Like they're just like, wait, what? Like that was a perfect score. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> we mi- we also misappropriate maneuvers. Oh yeah, a ton. Like we'll take something and then call it our own. Yeah, and it's especially with air surfing is weird because between skating and snowboarding, all the tricks we're gonna do for the what's next- an example of that. Full rotation error. Our rodeo, our rodeo flip is not a rodeo flip. What is it? I I don't even. Well, there's do other do other uh, sports call it a three sixty error, and we call it a full rotation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Our our um, because if you look at guys on the snowboard, they go up like at a forty five degree angle, maybe. Like they're not going straight up the half pipe like they do in skateboarding. Right. And then they rotate. And if they rotate and land going regular foot, if they go up regular foot, do a full rotation, as we'd call it, and land regular foot, they call it a 540. But realistically, they're probably spending 450 because they go up like at a 45 and they come down at the opposite 45. So, but we have a, like, we call those air 360s. And it's like, why? <laughs> why would we sell ourselves short like that? <laughs> it's just like when we call waves from the back. Like, right. It's like a cool thing we do, like that, like in and surfing. And it's just it makes no sense to the. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? It goes from like, oh man, it was like twelve foot <laughs> to it was sixty feet. Exactly. Like there's this whole vast scale between oh, twelve feet and how, sixty feet. Because I get asked how big Jaws is sometimes, and I'm just like, I don't even. I don't even bother. I'm like, it's 
big. Yeah. <laughs> or it's not that big. <laughs> I shot myself a little bit or I shot myself a lot of bit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do it on the diarrhea scale. There you go. <laughs> oh, triple overhead. Like, what? <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> I pooped three times before I paddled out. Exactly. I, I only pooped once. It wasn't that big. <laughs> no, but I think that's something that the air tour should do and the regular tour should do is make things I, like less exclusive like explain it to the dumb viewer better like not the dumb viewer the uneducated surfing viewer yeah well i think that that's the challenge that the wsl is faced with to to remain true to the core while explaining it to the masses yeah but i i don't get the staying true to the core like they the surfers doing like that's the core so they can decide what's core and like, why not decide that you know calling a wave by the face height is core? <laughs> why? Why can't we decide that? I'm so happy that we have someone from Hawaii finally. I'm so excited to light. Oh it my doesn't God. even make sense. When you call the wave from the back, like <laughs> the back of the wave changes every like what Chopo's one foot. Right. God damn, dude. <laughs> oh man. Like I, was, I, I hate explaining to like a Jaws wave to someone. Like, what's the biggest wave you ever got? Like, oh, 20 foot. They're like. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, 40. I mean, 43. I don't know. I've heard a few stories on how that started. Um, so I don't claim to have the story. But one was that uh, in the early days of the North Shore, when people would ask how big it was, they didn't want it to get crowded. So they would reduce the size. And even on a big day, it would be like, oh, no, it was like three foot pipe. I feel like it worked. That's counterintuitive, though, because like. I feel like it's easier to scare people away when it's big. <laughs> Don't right? you? Yeah. Like, someone says like, oh yeah, sunset's 10 foot. Like, I feel like people would be like, oh yeah. But if you're like, oh, it's 20 foot, they like, oh, fuck that. I'm not going out. What if we started calling wind backwards too? <laughs> like that would be more effective too. Like, hey, like, what's the wind doing? Like, oh, it was howling on shore today. <laughs> you're this like, wait, so was it really on shore today or was it Offshore, yeah. <laughs> that would really throw people for That's a pretty loop. much what we do, like with the size of waves. <laughs> We're living in the upside down. <laughs> we, <are. laughs> we do it. Oh my god, that'd be so funny. It's true though, man. And yeah, it's something we need to work on because, like, you watch us, like, I watched it in this, I watch a lot of snowboarding. I'm a huge snowboard groupie, like, almost annoyingly so. I just obsess over it. I even started <laughs> surfing with straps lately. <laughs> Which is pretty funny. I, Kyle and he turned me on to it. And I saw him doing it one day at Okiba and he just paddles. And the strap really doesn't bother your chest that much. I always thought it did. And he paddles and like all of a sudden you don't need good wind. You don't need like... And the bigger the wave, like the better. Because you can just hit... You feel like you can hit any section. And it's like... I I hope that becomes like a little subgenre in surfing as well, <laughs> the strap surfing. Because <laughs> I I like, I'll show you a couple of clips on the phone. But I started doing like trying McTwist, where you actually bone out like a Japan grab that snowboarders do. What's a Japan grab again? It's where you grab. We call it a slob surfing. Okay. Which is another thing we just we can call whatever we want. I guess it's <laughs> cultural appropriation. But you, but you like pull it up towards your head and like you just. Like you watch snowboarding, and like yeah, yeah, I they know. bone out grabs, and it's just it's I'm, so stylish. About. And there's only a few surfers that really 
like bone out grabs and yeah. but your back foot kind of becomes disconnected without straps yeah. a lot of times if you're trying to bone it out oh uh, you can't do it so i've I, tried it a freaking hundred yeah. times yeah in, in theoretically yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah so it's yeah <laughs> so you so you've been uh but what i'm saying with straps oh yeah yeah a little bit but my point was um that when i watch a snowboard event they they are do a really good job at explaining the trick to someone like me who doesn't like i don't i don't didn't know but now i like they educate you during the entire event like all right that's a double cork japan air and then they go in like all right a double cork is you mean you're you know you're rotating over your back shoulder and you're board spinning this many degrees and all that shit and like it's comprehensible for like me who doesn't yeah, it doesn't I don't get do it. double quarries, right. you know? <laughs> Would you support a, an event on the air show tour at Kelly's Wave Pool? Um, if I could fuck with the Wave Pool a little bit. <laughs> How would you fuck with it? I would, I, I don't know. It's too long, that Wave Pool. I, I think the, the events there are going to be a trip. They, I think, I just really hope. I don't think an air show event like exclusively airs would be that. Would be, it it work. It'd be really cool, but it. I mean, everyone's gonna hang around the whole wave and wait for the last section. From what I see of the wave now, which you know isn't the best for viewing. You don't need a long wave for an air show, right? You know? Um, but the way they do contests there, I think airs should be the focus. You know, like the centerpiece. I just hope when people start, when they do the contest there, that the surfers look at it as a, like a slope style run in snowboarding or, you know, a skate run where you're like, all right, I have this section, this section, this section, this section. These are the tricks I'm going to do on these sections and like plan it out. Not like, cause I mean, the spontaneity of surfing is really amazing, but it's, it's a wave pull. Like, and you got to turn that part of your mind off. Like there's no, there shouldn't be any spontaneity. You should plan out a run for that. And I really hope people start doing that. And just sit there and work on their... Like, Fleep should Fleep should do a double all you up in that last section. Yeah. I want to fucking try that wave so bad. And plan still it. won't let me do it. Really? Yeah. I knew about it, like... Because I went on a trip with Shane. He told me about it before it was a thing, like, six months before. He promised I'd get to come and then <laughs> still have it been. Everyone out there, start Instagramming <laughs> Kelly Slater and say... Bring Albie to your wave pool. I, All of you. I think vicious I could do... Vicious little... I really think I could do a double oop on the inside section. He thinks he watching. could do a double oop on the inside and section. I could be wrong, which would be even funnier for people to watch. Let <laughs> him go. Let him go. Let him go. But yeah. no, I think people, when they do that um, event there, that should be the minds... I hope that a lot of the surfers, like I feel like a few of them will lock into that mindset. Because I did the wave pool event in Wales, and I ended up winning it, which was, I was really, really stoked nice. on. Yeah. And against some surfers that were arguably better than me. <laughs> but that's what I went into it with that mindset. Like, all right, I'm going to plan out a run. And, like, that's that's the one thing that gave me an edge over people. I was like, well, I know I can do, like, a shove it. I know I can do a reverse. And I was like, all right, if I need this score, I'm going to do a reverse, two turns, and a reverse. And, like... And then if I need a, my, like my best run was like, all right, I'm going to do a reverse two turns and a shove it. And I like, had these runs planned out. And that's like, 
the only reason I really got an edge over because those guys all serve just as good, if not better than me. And that was like what gave me the edge. Yeah, and it doesn't make it any less exciting to see Sean White do his run, even though he's practiced it a couple times. Well, no, and that's the thing, too, is he has different runs depending on what he needs. And I think that's so cool. That's what that that's what created that moment where he had to do his best run at the end. Last thing. And that's like, those are the moments we live to watch as sports fans. And that's what people need to do. Like, oh shit, like Felipe is up against the ropes against Gabriel or John, and he needs to do his best run. Like, he needs to do that 540 on the last section to out whoever's in first right now. And those are the moments we're going to want to watch. Okay, so North Point, the wave pool, potentially. Yeah. Some waves on Maui. Maybe that would be enough. I mean, I think there should be six events. That's what I'm hoping for. Okay, wh- where else are you thinking? I don't, I, dude, there's good airwaves all over the world. France, where they're having it, is a good airwave. They just need to, I think is in West... Hossiger? Yeah. Okay. In West Oz, you, even if it was Margaret's, like, coinciding with the CT event, because they call it off sometimes when the wind comes up, and that's, like, the best air wind ever, and, like... Yeah, why wouldn't they do that? Because then they wouldn't need to absorb the costs of running a separate exactly. event. No, I think they're going to at a couple of events. Like kind of how, you know, the women's tour and the men's tour, like sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. I think they should kind of keep that format going. Because I think it's only going to be one day for an air show event. Because there's going to be less of us in the normal tour and more of us in a heat. Sure. So <clears throat> do you have any ideas of, all right, John, Philippe, um, it's a low was one. It's a low. But then like Noah Dean, Dane Reynolds, Craig Anderson, Chippa Wilson, and Matt better be on it. He wasn't on the proposed list, but that was all temporary. Uh, Matt is, I think he's the best air surfer in the world. Yeah, Matt Miola. Yeah, Matt <clears throat> Miola. He has the two best airs ever done in surfing. As far as I'm concerned, as far as a lot of, pretty much anyone's concerned. And I, I mean, if there's <laughs> one thing I'm confident in calling is like air surfing because I've j- it's been my focus for my whole life. So I really think he has the two best airs ever done surfing, even though I beat him at surfing pole this year. <laughs> I was just I, I thought that was totally wrong. <laughs> what are the two the on the left? He the did a backflip spin. spin he, thing? he calls it a spindle flip five forty. But really, what he did, he it was like a. Frontside rodeo five, I think a snowboarder would call it. They asked him, so he spun. He hit the lip, and he was frontside, and he spun. It's the craziest spin ever, because you know most people you hit the lip and you either spin back, like you, because you, you follow your head, and he hit the lip and he tucks his, so he was goofy foot, and he tucks his head into his right shoulder, and he spins a flip out away from the wave. And then he did an extra 180 at the end of it, landed backwards and spun around. And that is just, like, I really don't think the surfing world will appreciate how gnarly that air was for another years. But, like, 10, 15 years from now when people are doing corks, you know, and double spins and hopefully the air show <laughs> tour, like, they'll look back and be like, holy shit, Matt did that back then? <laughs> like, that is the, that's crazy. It still holds to a candle to... 20 years from now and then the other one was just a flat spin um we call it a five but it's i think it's a seven what can be done about the issue that we are facing right now with 
big wave days uh, on big wave days with safety skis being monopolized by photographers. Yeah. Oh, did this year at Jaws, I, I did a rant about it and a few things, but, um, explain the situation. So there was, you know, when a, when a big swell comes, there's a lot of hype around it and servers fly, especially at Jaws, which is my home and servers fly in from all over the world to surf it. And, uh, it's just like, I, which I totally get. And I do, you know, we do, it's our, it's our passion. And, but like over the years, they've become less and less concerned with their safety when they do that. Cause it's one of the most dangerous things. It's the dangerous, most dangerous type of surfing you can do. And people have died. We've lost a lot of big wave surfers doing it. And when the jet ski started coming in as a rescue tool, it, people stopped dying, you know, and we got the blow up vest and it became a little safer but it also became more crowded because of all these things. But then it's taken like in the last few years, it's become this thing where like people are just getting too comfortable and they just don't think they need that. And at Jaws, the problem is, is there's, there's enough skis to run safety for every surfer out of Jaws. Cause you can do four or five people to a ski is like kind of the limit. And this year there was probably 60 surfers in the water at one point, And there was two people running safety and the rest, there was 15, 20 skis in the water and the rest were driving photographers. And I like, I caught a wave and I came in and I looked at it and I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I was like, how is this okay? And it's like, it's so it's shitty. Cause I'm like, I'm not a very, people probably think I'm a confrontational person because things I say I'm like <laughs> typing out but in person I'm really bad at confronting people <laughs> like I just I'm really awkward and I just like I, I wanted to like scream at people so bad about it I was like we like this is a like we just need to fix this this just is unacceptable it's unsafe and it's just it's stupid it's just downright stupid and is so that because <clears throat> uh someone takes off on a wave it's like you take off on a wave click 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 bunch of people take photos you get blown up by the white water someone else takes off on the wave behind you all the photographers all the focus is now on the person behind you yeah and no one is really looking out for what is happening to you on the inside if you ever came up from that first beating it's become such like a, a spectacle you know we're like I, I don't know. It's it's just weird. There's just there's an entire like there's so many people making money when a Jawswell happens. It's from the guys giving rides down the road to all this shit. Everyone's trying to monopolize it, and people like forget like the people surfing like that's what makes this whole thing work. Like if there was no one surfing, like a few people would go watch empty waves, and it's just like, but then it's also the surfers' fault because they. I guess maybe some think that in a way, like because they're the spectacle that everyone's seeing, they deserve to be rescued or all this stuff. But it's like, it's, and, but then there's the photographers that make money off the shots. There's, and then, so all the ski drivers, basically the problem is that all the ski drivers weren't making any money rescuing people and they're risking their own like safety as well as the, their safety of their ski and rescuing strangers for nothing. And it's just like, after, you know, a few years of doing this all the time, they were like, this is bullshit. And, 
then a photographer will come in and be like, hey, I'll pay you $600 to drive me around for the day. And then they just drive around on the channel and they don't have to risk their safety or the safety of their ski. And they just drive a photographer on the channel and make money. Like, obviously, they would choose that. <laughs> like Because they're incentivized to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're incentivized to. So the, what we need to do, I think, because I've talked to people from Mavericks and the same thing happens there. Yeah. That's that's what I've heard. And it's just something where I don't know if it's like it, it's got to be a, almost a crowdfunding kind of thing where we have to they should be re- incentivized, rewarded for rescuing people more so than for driving a photographer. Because driving a photographer, not only are you not rescuing people, like are you taking up that ski for just a photographer, but they block the rescues a lot of time and it causes all this mayhem in the channel that's just not okay so uh, yeah it's a problem that needs to be fixed what are your thoughts on it you've seen it at mavericks a ton yeah i do i think that there are a few a few things to think about um one is that that first point that um if a ski is driving photographer they really aren't looking out for the surfer they're looking to get a shot yeah and that's okay if that ski and photographer are dedicated to that project for the day um i think that there is also an issue with people getting picked up after every wipeout and not having to face a really bad beating and it can actually hinder progression because People feel you too can, safe. People feel too safe, and they can take four bad wipeouts on a on you know a fucking forty foot wave at Mavericks and still be back out there. If you took two bad wipeouts on on big waves at Mavericks, your session's done. Yeah. I'm sorry because you're gonna most likely get hit by three more waves. You're gonna get washed through the rocks. It's gonna, gonna be a long back paddle back out, and you're gonna be gassed. Yeah. And I think that that um experience will teach you something yeah it certainly taught me some things from hook i'm not going to take off on that wave again or 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 be irresponsible in that way and i i do think that it can um kind of hinder learning to not have those it's totally those wipeouts so like Part of it comes back to the, to the responsibility of the surfer to hire their own ski. And I've done that before where I go out on a boat with a few guys and we, you know, us three or four guys will all chip in and we hire that ski driver yeah. and we tell the ski driver, all right, you're, this is you're, our crew, you're, this you're, is our crew you're and you're, us. exactly. Um, so I think that that's one solution that said certain big wave surfers aren't making much money. So I don't know if it should all be on them to um, to bear that responsibility. And I think the big so I was talking to, to Pete Mel about this um, on a podcast that we did where he was out. So I went out on that really big day at Mavs. Was it last year? This winter, there was yeah. one morning. Uh, there was like three hours and it was the biggest waves I have ever ever seen in my entire life it was breaking 300 yards past the main bowl at mavericks i'll show you some some video of it and um 
Can you imagine rolling in from behind that main bowl from out there? You could, yeah. I mean, if you were in the spot, you could have done it. And I was talking to Pete because he was out there with his son, John. And Pete was surfing, and John was driving the ski. Um, and there was a couple guys out there from Power Lines who were also driving skis. Uh, and they were taking photos, and those are the main guys who rescue surfers out there as well, um, which is very generous. Thank you so much. Um but then what happened was there was a there was a boat inside of our boat. I was out there with um, Russell Birke and Nick Von Rapp. Oh yeah, they left my house to go to that day. A couple other yeah. guys, and there was a boat inside of us. And this big set came in and it pushed really wide into the channel. And the boat inside of us got caught and it flipped. I don't know if you saw any of that oh, footage. I saw it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And all of the skis had to come in to save the photographer on the boat as well as the captain. And I was standing there on the boat thinking okay now there's no one watching any of the surfers in the lineup there was pete and um lucas chumbo and a few other guys and it was like it was big man like it was yeah. one of those days where if you fell on a wave you probably are not going to come up for a little while yeah and um, you need a rescue so uh, so <clears throat> Pete uh, went anyway back to the story of Pete like he told me that he went back out in the afternoon uh, session there were a couple waves it was a little smaller but some guys wanted to go um, give it a shot and he offered to drive and drive safety and he was out there and he thought shit man like okay I'm the only safety out here and if something happens to one of these guys, it's kind of on me, yeah. even though they're not paying me. Like th the way it's all going to play out is I was driving safety and I didn't save them. Exactly. Which is a huge responsibility for a ski driver with no reward. He's doing it to be a nice guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if someone died while you were driving safety, like you're going to live with that forever. And that's, that's totally unfair. <laughs> no yeah. way. Um, so I yeah so I don't know I I do think that something needs to it's be done though I think part of it too is like because you there's a couple guys like like Aaron Gold is what I used as an example is he goes out there and sometimes he doesn't have safety and that is totally fine because Aaron Gold can take care of him fucking self no matter what happens to him because he's one of the craziest motherfuckers ever I mean you say that but you never know no I know but like he he knows that like because. There's a chance we could die. Look like, this wave coming in right here. Check this. Check this next wave. Just holy shit! <laughs> I've <laughs> I always took that on my phone, dude. I saw like two waves that broke on that outside bowl when I was there that you could have rolled in behind the bowl, and I swear yeah. that's like one of the best big waves you can catch. No, it was there. doable. I um, was out there on the boat and had this internal conflict of like, look, okay, I didn't hire my own safety. This is yeah. Honestly, it was just too big for me. Well, there's like that's <laughs> it, uh, honestly like if uh, like being out there, being I was able to admit that is just the sign of a good big wave. Server. It was seriously. I was out there and I was like, I'm. This is too big for me. I don't. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm so okay surfing Mavericks on a good medium sized day. If I, everyone had that mindset, big wave surfing would run a lot more smoothly. <laughs> but no, it's, it, I think that some days there's guys and cause I've done it before. Like, la, um, two years ago I went, I surfed jaws and I was the only person in the lineup and there was no skis or anything. 
And but like I going out there, I knew that I was like, okay, this is the risk. And is it worth it to me to risk my life to do this right now? And I was like, it's not that big. Like I've done this a million times. Like I think the odds of me getting hurt are small enough that I'm okay with this. But the problem is the people that go out with none of the safety precautions, but expect them. That's, that's the problem I think. And that need them that need them. Cause there's a lot of guys that go out and they don't need them. Like you never know. Obviously there's some chance, but they know the odds. They, they're not, yeah, they're, and they're trained athletes, and yeah, they're trained they athletes, really and know what's up, and they can take a wrong, huge wave on the head. Yeah, if shit goes wrong, they, they know how to deal with it up until, you know, until something completely, you know, horrible random happens. Ha- yeah. yeah, Yeah. so maybe a solution is for the ski drivers to have a, a pact and say, look, we're not going to pick guys up unless they're really in trouble. Yeah, I know, which is that... And then that becomes a thing, though. Like, what if they didn't pick him up and then they were really in trouble and they died? Yeah. Then that's on them. Because because at Mavericks, you get hit by a wave, you get hit by another wave, and on the third wave, most of the time, you're, well, you're definitely out of sight and you're going through the rocks. Yeah. Um, The most unsafe I've ever felt out there has been on my paddle ins, where like a big sweeper set comes in and I'm all alone and there's no one watching and I'm like trying to navigate my way through <laughs> these rocks because if you're if you fall on a big one out the back you're the star of the show and you know that yeah. ski drivers are going to come in saw that. which is a horrible mindset to have exactly that yeah it's the, it's just I think it starts with the mindset of surfers changing a little bit just the people who go out there thinking like yeah, I'm the star of the show, and if something happens, everyone will save me because, you know, they all saw it. And, yeah, they just need to be – people need to go out there with the mindset that I can take care of myself until all hell breaks loose and I'm completely – and something, like, just completely random happens. And I I, I, I talk to Shane a, a lot about it, um, Dorian, and – I just always give him shit. I'm just like, dude, shouldn't have been in that fucking blow up suit, <laughs> you asshole. Because <laughs> honestly, like, I, I served Jaws a few years without it, and I completely rely on it now. And it's the worst mindset ever because they're not 100% functional. Like, I've had three pop, I think, and like two not work, and it, or two times it didn't work, and three of them popped. Um, but like that's another thing that it makes it's like this it makes it safer up into the point where it doesn't work and then you're depending on it and you pull it and it doesn't go off and you're just used to coming up way faster and then all of a sudden like that'll send your mind because that's exactly what happened to me i was got used to it and i had one pop on me and my mindset was like out of jaws yeah what happened I just was under for a whole lot longer than I wanted to be. Did you pull it and it popped? Or did I pulled it? it and I just felt the air all shoot out the back of it because there's a hole in it. Or it popped when I pulled it. Um, but I, and it's happened. Uh, it's, it's everyone almost. Like eventually it happens. And it's just it, you sh- like it's so hard to train yourself to not have the mindset to depend on that. You know? And because before I used it, I watched like old footage of myself surfing Jaws and I mean, I hope I'm better at it now because I've been doing it for so many years, but like my approach was so much fucking smarter back then (laughs) 
when I had just, you know, I had one little vest, that little bit of flotation that would get me to the surface a little bit quicker. And my approach was so much more intelligent. How so? Just the waves I picked and stuff. Like, I would push myself, but I felt like the first year I surfed paddle surf jobs, I fell like once or twice. And now I fall every single swell. Because I'm just like, I am so dependent on that thing. And I just like, and everyone's sending it. Everyone's sending it. Every set, everyone's sending it because they have the blow up vest and they, they think the safety's there to rescue them. And so it just like, it pushes it. Pushes it without the consequences. Yeah, but up until a point, because it's going to catch up to all of us at some yeah. point. And what's shitty, too, is it, it when tragedy sh- like kind of strikes in situations like this, it doesn't happen to the person where you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It happens to one of the guys you think that would never happen to. Yeah. Which is like, and it's just, I'm, I'm terrified of that happening to one of my friends. I think it's really good that you're talking about this because it's not, I think that, so I did a story um, in Louisiana last year on the BP oil spill. We were out there interviewing shrimp fishermen um, because it was the six-year anniversary anniversary of the spill. And we were also uh, interviewed some of the guys who were on the rig that exploded. And I asked them, what was the reason that the BP oil spill happened? And this one guy told me, he said, it wasn't one reason. It was 18 reasons it was it was like 18 separate events that could have stopped it could have been prevented it could yeah it could have been prevented and we chose to ignore it yeah because everything is fine until it isn't until this massive explosion happened and the worst environmental disaster in history occurred and i think that we also like going to your point of reliance we rely on technology so much now. Think of your money right now. Oh, yeah. You have money because you have a number on a screen and you exactly. trust that technology has that number right and it's not all going to disappear one day. I have a friend who owns a Tesla and it, I got to drive in the Tesla with him. And we're driving down the road and he says, check this out. He takes his hand off the wheel. The Tesla speeds up, changes lanes, and then at the red light stops without him doing anything. (laughs) I was in the passenger seat shitting myself. It's like, what the fuck is happening? And I think that we apply that. And we should have a certain amount of trust in technology because it does enhance our lives yeah, uh, massively to accomplish things that we otherwise couldn't sure but we are inherently engaging in a dangerous activity when we're surfing big waves and we shouldn't take a new technology that is wonderful um with the same kind of reliance yeah as we as we take other uh, other uh products and i don't even know if we should take take the same reliance on other products maybe we should just go live out in the woods build a fucking yurt <laughs> create a shotgun buy a bunch of gold yeah and then, blow uh, up the la river and let it start meandering again exactly <laughs> and call what, what was her name again sierra sierra lynch <laughs> buy a bag of shit for four grand all right
let's wrap this up. But everyone out there needs to Instagram Kelly Slater and tell him to let Albie surf the wave pool. What if I just suck at it if I finally get to go? Because <laughs> I talk kind of a bit of shit about doing it. Pressure. What do you know about pressure? Uh, I'd be okay with it, though. It'd be worth it. No, do something useful with your day, guys. Yeah. Instagram Slater right now. Uh, harass him. Yeah. Because I've done it enough. <laughs> <laughs> He's blocked you. He's so over me, man. Uh, all right, That's man. That was fun. That was fun. How, th- was that super long? Time is a abstract <laughs> concept. Oh, my God. We haven't even eaten yet. Let's eat some dinner. Yeah, our pasta needs to be eaten. <laughs> Let's do this. <laughs> That's our show, everybody. I'm going to play you out with a song called Rollin' by Limp Biscuit. Also, the group that I was referring to that is working to save salmon in the Sacramento Delta is called Cal Trout. So head over to caltrout.org and check out their great work. Also, get in touch with Albie on Instagram. My guests love hearing from you. Send him a nice comment if you dug this conversation. And once again, this is a donation-based podcast, so if you feel inspired to send some cash this way, head over to kyle.surf and make a donation. You can also check out my book club, my monthly newsletter, all kinds of fun stuff over at kyle.surf. Until next time, my friends, have a great day, get in the water, and enjoy this song by... The best band ever, Limp Biscuit.
rolling.